Good morning. How's everybody doing today? I hope you're as, as bright and airy and happy as the sunshine that we have this morning. Uh, too many things in my hands. Kelly, I'm just going to set this here. It's so good. It's good to be with you this morning. Uh, yes, I am from Maine. I work at Framework, but I am a true-blooded Canadian through and through, and no matter where I go, that will probably never subside, whether people want it to or not. Um, but there's a Hebrew idiom or a word picture that I think best describes the realities of God's presence to us, for us, and around us always. And it stems from the Hebrew understanding of God's spirit or his ruach. You got to clear your throat, his ruach, right? And so it stems from God's spirit or energy, which is like this powerful force that has this creative agent behind it. And it oftentimes is described through that of breathing. So as you breathe in, you feel the energy, fill your lungs, and the vitality of life fill your body. And so one rabbi, while defining the reality of God's spirit or God's presence, his personal presence among us, said that God is as close to you as the air that you breathe. With that this morning, I'd like us to begin by taking several breaths to just fixate our minds on the fact that the presence of God is around us, is with us, whether we acknowledge it or not. And so this morning, would you take several deep breaths with me in through your nose, hold that out through your mouth, breathe in through your nose, feel the life of God enter your body today, out through your mouth. Praise be to the Lord who is here amongst us today. I think what makes this word picture so profound is, is not just that it, it informs and, and actuates this participatory nature of like fixating your mind on God through your breath, but actually stems from the origins in the creation story that we get in Genesis 1 and 2, where it was in the creation of all things that God's spirit hovered over the waters. It was his powerful energy, his ruach, that brought about beauty and order from chaos represented in, in the formlessness of the sea. And it was God's breath that was breathed into the very nostrils of Adam that he may become a living being. What's beautiful about this is it actually shows why you and I, humanity, were created to exist in the first place. That there is a God out of the overflow of his love that intended to dwell with people. The very presence of God was meant to be amongst the people. More importantly, as the story of the Bible continues, the people of God. And so we see from the very beginning a God who longs to come close. That in the creation of the heavens and the earth, the earth was to be the temple that would house the full manifestation of God's presence. Hence the Hebrew word picture. God is as close to you as the air that you breathe. Today, I've been asked to talk about the realities of how God sustains his people. I think very simply, if we were to read through the whole of the Bible and pick up on this theme of provision or sustaining, God's sustaining provision amongst his people, we'd realize that over and over and over and over and over and over and over again, God provides for his people. 
The scriptures are littered with it. And so how on earth do you get tasked with one of the most like monumentous themes in all of the Bible and sum it up in 30 minutes, right? I think it comes from the reality that the very people of God, while they experienced the provision and sustenance of God over and over again in scripture, there was this connection that the provision of God is not divorced from the presence of God. That if you are to experience the presence of God, you are coming close, or sorry, if you're to experience the provision of God, God's sustaining grace, you are to come close to the one who longs to draw near to you right? My, the first story that pops into my head is that of, of Israel and Moses wandering throughout the wilderness. That as, as they wandered, God provided for them daily in the form of manna. But what's interesting about this story is that at the very beginning, Moses says, we won't go unless you go with us. So there's this understanding that yes, God indeed provides. God indeed sustains. But God sustains and provides because he is with us, not because he's far off and distant. Again, out of his love, he's a God that draws near. And I think it's really a modern idea that we've come to believe that you can go to God, that you can go to him to get what you need. But the reality is God is not some divine vending machine to dispense your needs. He's not some genie of the Bible or guy in the sky to give you your wishes of whatever you may want in the moment. And he's not some some mystical version of Amazon Prime. Yeah, yeah, so we get it, right? He's not some mystical version of Amazon Prime to just give you what you need to select that day. And heaven forbid, he takes more than two to four business days to ship it to 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 your house. Like, how dare the Lord to take longer, right? And I think it's a modern idea. And I think a lot of the reason this, this pervades and is prevalent in our society today is because of how popular the prosperity gospel is. That if you follow Jesus, you're gonna succeed. You're gonna have health and wealth. You're gonna prosper. You're gonna flourish. You're gonna be rich. You're gonna be rolling in it. And I also think it's prevalent in the realities of American Christianity that we've distorted that the reason God provides and sustains for his people is not because he's some dispensary to give you what you want, but he's the God that literally made the way for you to draw near to his own personal presence. And so today I really just want to pull on that idea that God sustains us because he's with us. And when it comes to following Jesus, I think it's summed up in the fact that the Christian Christian life is summed up in the fact that it's life with Jesus and life for Jesus. It's this both and of drawing near to the realities and the presence of God, but then actually living that out so that the people of this world who are lost and broken, who are hurting, who are longing for some sense of meaning and purpose and sustenance in life, see the one who actually provides see the one they were made for. We are to be people of his presence. As William Paulsell said, uh, sorry, I lost my spot. Over the last couple of years, I've, I've come to realize, and of course, I've only been a pastor for four years, so this is about half the time that I've been a pastor, right, last two years. And uh, I've realized there's an entire sect of Christians 
specifically that I've encountered uh, in Aroostook County, but I don't think that it's limited to this place because I've heard it from my fellow colleagues all over the district and from Pennsylvania. And I think there's an entire sect of Christians whose entire faith was built upon what God does for them instead of the robust, radical invitation of the gospel that through Jesus Christ we are invited to share in the life of God. As William Paulsell said, it is unlikely that we will deepen our relationship with God in a casual or nonchalant manner. There will be a need for some intentional commitment and some reorganizing in our lives, but there is nothing that will enrich our lives more than a deeper and clearer perception of God's presence in the routine of everyday life. You will notice as you read through the Bible, the central theme is God meeting ordinary people here on this broken, wicked, and chaotic earth. Not calling people to climb some arbitrary ladder or stairs uh, into the throne room of heaven, but rather it is the God through the revelation of Jesus who stepped down from the throne of heaven to make the presence of God known amongst the earth. As Dallas Willard said, Jesus didn't just come to get you to heaven when you die, but rather he came to get heaven into you. With that, if you have your Bibles with you this morning, would you turn to me, turn with me, not to me, uh, to John chapter 14. Uh, so over the next few moments, I want to pull out uh, kind of a reoccurring theme that Jesus brings out in the final discourse. So we're going to look at John 14, 15, and 16. I'm going to jump around a little bit, but I just want to isolate uh, the the... I would say the linchpins of this teaching as Jesus is giving his final like commission, his final set of, of commands and teachings to his disciples before his impending death on the cross. I want to pull out, I think, the main theme that Jesus is getting at. And so starting in John 14, verse 15, if you love me, keep my commands and I will ask the father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The spirit of truth. The word cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. Verse 25, all this I have spoken while still with you, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. I think it's interesting that Jesus is in the midst of talking about this, this reality of abiding and remaining and sharing in the life of God through the gift of the Holy Spirit. And as he finishes part of this teaching, he says, I'm going to leave you with peace. I think there's a correlation between the, the closer we come to God, the more peace we experience in reality here and now. So do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Then in John 15, verse 26, when the advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth who gives out, who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. Then in the middle of John chapter 16, verse seven, very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. Then in the very end of the gospel of John in, in chapter 20, verse 19 through 23, uh, in the gospel of, not in the 
book of Acts written by Luke. Uh, Luke gives us this depiction of the Holy Spirit falling on the disciples of, as tongues of fire, but John writes it a little differently, and it's beautiful. Listen. On the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, their sins are not forgiven. What's beautiful about this is Jesus is talking to his disciples, his followers, the the ones who had been with him for three years as he was about to send them into the world without him, his physical body here, but he's promising the gift of God's presence. I think the essence of discipleship summed up in these three chapters is nothing short of life with God. That it is the fusing of our own lives with the life of the Spirit. And I think the gospel summed up is that Jesus is God with us. He has come to show us God's love, to save us from sin, to set up the kingdom of heaven so that we can share in God's presence here and now. All that was removed from humanity by the sin and rebellion of Adam was restored through the sacrifice and the gift of the Spirit through Jesus. It is life with God. I think it's interesting that the only two references that I could find of God breathing onto people or into the lives of people is in Genesis chapter 1 and John chapter 20. That is, God breathed the breath of life, his life-giving presence into the nostrils of Adam. We see this again, the great reversal of Jesus that as Adam was exiled and removed from, from the presence of God, Jesus comes to restore all that was lost. And we see again the presence of God being breathed into the life of those who come near and draw close to the Lord. What I find interesting is the fact that in this teaching, Jesus makes reference to the Holy Spirit specifically as advocate four different times. And I think it's really important. Uh, I love Gordon Fee's definition of the Holy Spirit, which is the Holy Spirit is God's empowering presence. Many of us may know that advocate or parakletos in Greek means the one who comes close or the one who comes alongside. That's why some translations call it comforter or advocate. And so I think the Holy Spirit has this beautiful relationship with us of one of two things, that the Holy Spirit is God himself, come close to us in the midst of hard things. And the Holy Spirit is to God come with us to go through hard things. He both walks with you, but also supports you and upholds you and comes alongside you, pulling you near to him as you pursue and and persevere through hardship, through suffering and through the pains that this life promises. Uh, I just had the opportunity, we, a couple weeks ago at, at our youth ministry, we celebrated our graduates, and this year we kind of took a different angle instead of just saying, congratulations, you finished high school, you did what 99% of everyone else does at 17 years old. Uh, we took a different angle and, and talked about you're finishing your childhood, 
that from here on out, you're actually stepping into adulthood, whether you are an adult or not. Most of them are not. But they're beginning the journey, right? Some would say, I'm not even an adult yet. I'm just a baby. So there's grace for them. Uh, but in that, I, our leaders, uh, as they were praying over our grads, as we came together as a community to bless them and send them into a new chapter of life, uh, one of our leaders said, uh, in this life, it does not promise you happiness. It does not promise you success. It does not promise you health. It does not promise flourishing. That is a lie of social media. The only thing this life really promises is hardship, is pain, suffering, and ultimately death. Following Jesus does not promise you health. Following Jesus does not promise you flourishing and richness and all the things that you long for that you see on YouTube. Following Jesus, in fact, does invite hardship. Following Jesus, in fact, does invite suffering. It is not divorced from the realities of this world. In fact, oftentimes it's harder. But following Jesus promises the presence of God through all of that. The hope we have as Christians is that one, we were never forsaken. We are never alone. God has come to be with those who draw near to him. The people of God are to be marked by the presence of God. But the hope we have of a future is that the things of this world will not last forever. Revelation 21 says that, that, that as Jesus returns, as he steps down for the second time from the throne of heaven, he's going to wipe away the curse of sin. The reality is we still live in a Genesis chapter 3 world, longing for the picture we get of the new heavens and new earth in Revelation 21. The gift is not that someday that's going to happen, but we get a glimpse and a foretaste of it now, here, through the gift, the sustaining grace of God, that is the Holy Spirit, his empowering presence. And so uh, I, th- I love this picture from, from the Lord of the Rings, one of my favorite book series. The books are better than the movies. You can't change my mind. Hallelujah. <laughs> but my favorite scene from the movies is in episode, er, in episode three, Star Wars and uh, Lord of the Rings getting mixed up. It's from the third movie, The Return of the King. And, and we get this picture of Samwise Gamgee and Frodo Baggins as they're ascending upon Mount Doom to the fires to cast the one ring that rules them all into the fires from which it was forged. And we see Frodo fall as though he's going he's gonna to fail. He's going to come so close but fall so short of the goal of, of restoring peace and doing away with evil and Sauron forever. And he, he falls, he stumbles, and it seems like this is it. He's, it's over. And we get this picture of the loyal companion, Samwise Gamgee. He comes alongside Frodo. He picks him up like an old fire, fireman's carry with his 30 pounds of luggage on his back. And he, we get this beautiful line that says, I can't carry it for you, Mr. Frodo, but I can carry you. And we then see, then we see Samwise Gamgee struggle with this man on his back, climbing to finish the task, to finish the, 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 the quest that was destined upon not just Frodo, but because of the loyalty of Samwise, also Samwise. In the same way, I believe that's the spirit. When we fall, when we stumble, when it's as though life is so hard, there's so much pressure weighing down on us, and it seems as though we can't go any further. It's the spirit of God that comes alongside you that says, my child, I can carry you. Continue to walk with me.
And I think the reality of this should actually be what shapes all Christians, both individually and corporately. That we are to be people of his presence, so that the, the, the people of God, the new Israel, the church, the new family of God, however you want to explain it, we, us, here and now, are to be marked by the, the, the personal presence of Jesus amongst us. I love how, how Philip Yancey refers to this as, uh, when he's talking about prayer, not as a junk drawer word for talking at God, but the realities of communion life with God. He says, prayer means keeping the company with a God who is already present. He goes on to explain that God is present in his son, Jesus, who visited the planet and serves as advocate for those who are left behind. God is present in the hungry, the homeless and the sick, the imprisoned, and as Jesus claimed in Matthew 25, and we serve God when we serve them. God is present in the spirit who groans wordlessly on our behalf, and who speaks in a soft voice to all consciences who are attuned to him. I've learned to see prayer not as a way of establishing God's presence in my life, rather as my way of responding to God's presence. To quote Bernard Brown, a pastor on our district for more than 60 years, so I get this wonderful privilege of sharing an office space space with just an absolute goldmine of wisdom. He says so frequently, every time he prays and any time you talk about the gift of the Spirit, that God is everywhere present and nowhere is absent. And I think Pastor Brown teaches this and says it so frequently, not because it's something that he's got out of the Bible, but rather this is the reality in which Pastor Brown lives, that God indeed is everywhere present and nowhere is absent. The people of God are to be marked by the presence of God the problem that arises, as William Paulsell says, in order to come to this place and this stage in life, it takes intentional commitment of reorganizing our lives around the presence of God in the routine of everyday life. But the invitation of Jesus is to come and to share in life with God. But it's also life for Jesus. It's life for God, that you're no longer uh, saved and redeemed by the blood of the Lamb to to go and hoard the presence of the Holy Spirit, distant and, and away and apart from the realities and the struggle of this world and humanity, but rather you are saved for a purpose to actually draw near to the broken, to come near to those who are in death's doorstep, who are in the darkest of pits. You are saved for redemptive participation. Following Jesus and being a part of the church is not like attaining a membership at a country club. It's actually getting dirty and embracing sin in its wickedness and all of its, all that it has to offer for the sake that the presence of God who is in you, as Paul says in Galatians, also goes with you. So when you walk into the pit, when you walk into to hell's doorstep with people who are there just burdened and broken, you are bringing the life and the realities of God there for the sake that you may share the light of Christ to redeem them. We bring the presence of God with us. And I think as, as we look forward over the next 5, 10, 15 years, the shift that we should be making as followers of Jesus and in the church is that we are to be marked by the presence of God. It's not about our programs. It's not about our systems. It's not about our organization. It is about the realities of the Holy Spirit dwelling in you and amongst you. Sure, there needs to be order. We serve a God of order. 
but it is not divorced from the, the fact that the gospel is not about putting butts in seats. It's seeing people saved and inhabit the life of God. That is what sustains us. That is what allows us to persevere. And so if I was to, to offer just one piece of encouragement for us today, uh, as G.K. Beale said, we resemble what we revere for ruin or for restoration. I think church, as, as Christians, the people of God, we've been purposed with a sacred and holy task. And I think the, the future of the church is bright. Uh, I love that our district is, is putting an emphasis on renewal, both personally for pastors, but also corporately for our local churches. And I think it's beautiful. I think it's in the right direction because the reality is after what we've just been through, if there's anything I have learned, it is that nothing utter, nothing other, utter. It's like I just came out of Sussex. <laughs> Milk and some dairy cows. Nothing other than total dependence upon the spirit of God is going to get us through the rest of the turmoil that is most likely down the road, but is nothing other than the dependence of God that is going to see the kingdom of heaven strengthened and expand amongst our churches and in, in the world. And so I had a conversation with a friend of mine, John Lamus, a few months ago, and, and we were kind of lamenting the state of the Western church and kind of being a little brutally honest about how we're, we're kind of disappointed with the way the Western church is and the fact that we've drifted from, you know, so much of what's essential and what's important. But at the end of that conversation, which was deeply hopeful, I might add, that yes, things are not great if we're being honest, but things are not over. And so as we were finishing up this conversation, John said to me, we, the people of God, are called to be a community of people where the culture of heaven is in the midst of a people who are filled with the presence of God. That is my hope and that is my prayer for us. I am deeply hopeful for the future of the church. I love that, our, again, our district is moving in, in the, the realities of renewal. And as Mark Sayers said in his book, Reappearing Church, before we can experience corporate renewal of churches that leads to either regional, national, or potentially global revival, we must first experience personal renewal. We ourselves must receive a fresh breath from the empowering presence of God into our very lungs. I believe that Jesus is committed to the church because he's committed to dwelling amongst us. His presence is no longer found on Mount Sinai with Moses. It's no longer found in Zion or in the temple in Jerusalem but rather the presence of God is in ordinary people like you and me. And so as the band comes today, that was, that was your very subtle cue. I want to offer just, just one piece of encouragement and hope for you. Whatever is going on in your life, whatever you may be experiencing for good or for bad, in the years to come, May we begin to see a changing and a sifting, shifting, first in our churches, secondly in our society, as people begin to awaken to the realities that God is all around us. May we be people who are marked by the living presence of God. My hope for us is that we would see the power of the Spirit flow from us because we are so interconnected into the life of God that people forget to see you as an individual, but they see the presence of God amongst you. That your life and the life of God doesn't 
have this dramatic shift. They're fused as one. And so, Spirit, would you come? Would you fill our lungs and our hearts and our souls today? Would you grace us with your life-giving presence? Father, you are as close to us as the air that you breathe, that we breathe. Would you breathe on us today? We ask this in your name. Amen.